May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. At the beginning of November, we've just taken down our Halloween decorations and replaced them with Thanksgiving. We've had elections this last week around the nation, and we find ourselves in another season of preparation, maybe preparing to cheer our favorite college teams on as they think about going to a bowl game. Or we might be starting our Christmas shopping. Might. And we most likely have made our plans of what we're doing for Thanksgiving. And these plans to gather with others at many occasions over the next two months will most likely involve friends, and they very well might involve your family too. In the words of Betty White, there's nothing like good wine and friends or cheap wine and relatives. <laughs> We're going into a time that makes a lot of people very nervous. Whenever our friends or families gather, we relive parts of our past, and some of those parts are really good, and other parts, not so much. And how many people can remember a time when something very unpleasant emerged between two people. Regardless of whether or not anybody can remember what really happened today, all we know or all we really remember is how either us being in that conflict or how that conflict we observed, how it made us feel. We don't remember anything else. But these things bubble up and, and they make us nervous and stressed out. And sometimes we're put into these crazy situations over the holidays. And sometimes those situations are completely unwinnable. And in some ways, that's where Jesus is today. Luke's gospel has a group of, of people again trying to trap Jesus by asking a very provocative question about a woman and her husbands. The scripture, now there were seven brothers. The first married the woman and died childless. Then the second and third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? This sounds ridiculous, but this is the question that Jesus faces. It's like one of those unanswerable riddles that our family members throw towards us across the other side of the dinner table during the holidays. Nobody knows the right answer, but everybody acts as if they know something because, after all, the one who asks the questions wants to assert his or her position. Just like the Sadducees are the ones who want to assert their position, they want to assert that they're right. And Jesus puts away all of this nonsense. His response? Being married is great. And it's part of life while we are living in this world. But after people die, 
They no longer belong to any human at all. Rather, they belong to the most powerful presence of love that can ever be known. They belong to the living God. Jesus views their questions as ridiculous. The questions posed to Jesus by the Sadducees are much like the questions and the controversy when we see people stirring up all kinds of discord on social media, especially when it comes to national politics. We had elections in some parts of the country last week, and some groups were thrilled and others not. And some of us have gotten so wrapped up, practically entrenched into some of these bitter political squabbles, but we haven't ever really asked ourselves why. Why? So that we can help our country? So that we can boost our own ego? Maybe both? makes me wonder if we'd rather feel that we are right and see people divided rather than being reconcilers. I don't know. We do like to be right at a family dinner and in our lives. We like to be right. We have this need, a deep need, just like the Sadducees to boost our own egos. We get blinded to what is really important, blinded to our real values because we'd rather be right in the argument. But that gets us nowhere. The family of God is bigger than this. Our society is even bigger than this. Believe it or not, there's research to prove that the divided America that many of us feel in our minds or believe in our minds, that the divided America really isn't as divided as we think we are. In a recent uh, publication in the Atlantic magazine, there's an article saying that the majority of Americans agree on a staggering range of controversial issues, from guns and immigration to Roe v. Wade and healthcare. Actually, 67% of Americans fall into what is called an exhausted majority, with most most feeling a sense of fatigue over political conversations and most expressing, this is what's really telling, most expressing a strong willingness to be flexible in their political viewpoints. 67% are part of an exhausted majority. They long for a time of bridge building. And what this research tells us can give us hope. Most of us want what is best for everybody, but we don't know what to do because we fear that we'll escalate conflict because of our quest to win an argument rather than achieve what our real values, what's really important to us, what our real values actually call us to achieve. Most of us want for everyone something very doable. Loretta Lynn comes to mind when she says, if I got a hot meal on the table, a warm bed to sleep in, and the people I love right there around me, that's all I need. A hot meal, a warm bed, and people we love. Yes, 
We do want that for everyone. Of course we do. So why would we rather stay entrenched in some sort of division, some sort of escalated discord, than actually work for this day and night, working on it tirelessly until it happens for everyone, right? Why don't we? It's almost so simple, but it evades us. It makes what we do. It makes our desire for argument It makes what we do seem somehow absurd. And this brings us right back to the gospel. There's part of this gospel that is absolutely absurd, but we miss it. The Sadducees were the temple elite, and they were very much in charge. And the Sadducees were very much in charge until about the year 70, when the temple was completely destroyed by the Romans. And the Sadducees' version of Judaism and their way of life completely vanished immediately. And we're hearing this story today about the Sadducees in Luke's Gospel which was written in the year 85. Did you catch that? By the time this gospel was written down and heard, these Sadducees no longer existed at all, and they never reemerged. A first century hearer would have picked up on this immediately. The premise of the story, Sadducees versus Jesus, is absurd. The Sadducees are dead. Jesus lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last I will stand upon this earth, and in my body I shall see God. This gospel presents Jesus a question about something that is so clearly moot, because those asking the questions have already literally died off before it's been written down. The issue is absurd. It's a dead issue. It has already passed away, just like the Sadducees have passed away. Jesus couldn't be more clear. Who is married to whom does not matter. God is a God of the living. And that even after we die, God will be alive unto us, and we will be alive unto God. The Sadducees' question is a dead one. God lives for us, and we live for God. The family of God is literally all-embracing. It's open to absolutely everyone, and absolutely all parts of it are open to everyone, and it never dies, and it never ends. Life is for the living and living well. And the Sadducees, along with their questions, are now absolutely, undisputedly dead. But we still have this same habit that we get wrapped up into dead questions, don't we? We still want to split hairs, to argue, to be right, to win at all costs. And today's gospel is asking us to change, to call upon our better selves, to call us to reflect where we start identifying those places in our lives that keep us from including others in our world, to those places that stand in the way of our ability to connect others to God's never-ending presence of love and belonging. 
And we live into the living God's full presence of love and belonging when we affirm that we absolutely repent of bitter conflict with our neighbors over unimportant things. And instead, affirm dignity and respect for all people. Something like offering a hot meal and a warm bed and surrounding other people with those they love. Yes, that's the beginning. But the kingdom of God actually calls us to a lot more. This affirmation of God's entire family has to go further. It has to look something like that kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims when he proclaims to bring good news to the poor, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's very much the living God starting to work around us where God needs us to focus on and to bring the kingdom of God through Jesus' ministry and love to people who are in need, to people who are in mourning, to people who are powerless, to people who need peace and resolution to end those crazy nitpicking conflicts that we all get bogged down into every day at the family dinner table, at our places of employment, in our working life and in our school life, among our friends, these things that seem to happen around us everywhere. It's time to be peacemakers and put away the dead conflicts of yesteryear. Time to bring joy and strength and comfort and surround our neighbors with love just like we would like to surround ourselves with people we love. Think about it. If you're alive and I'm alive and our neighbors are alive and our God is a God of the living, then we have a responsibility from God to love everyone through every facet of living too because God is with them as much as God is with us. And we are all accountable to build up one another in love. We cannot get distracted by riddles about who is legitimately married to whom or about what is someone's political party affiliation or about whether where is someone's birthplace and do or don't they belong? This is not about arguing for the sole purpose of being right or seeking a way to exclude others that somehow makes you feel, those people make you somehow feel religiously impure. This is not about excluding others. This is about the inner nature of each person's heart. You are called to love. You are called to life, to life with God and to life with all of us. We're all in it together, folks. We have the baptisms today of Vance and Rowan to remind us of what we've committed to in this life. We have baptisms today to call us out of our old habits and our inner need to position ourselves over someone else. We have baptisms today to draw us closer into the very heart of God, to a place that brings us into a realm of constant forgiveness, of constant healing, of constant restoration into a realm of love. That's where we're being drawn.
And Jesus is calling us to live like we worship a God of the living. Not a dead God, but a living God. And the dead questions and those conflicts from our past need to die. We must live in the present. We must aspire for a future that dwells where the presence of the kingdom of God dwells among each and every member of God's family. Don't get bogged down by the hair-splitting arguments that are intrinsically already dead. The gospel of Jesus needs you to embrace the living and let God do the rest. Whether we have good wine with friends or cheap wine with relatives, we are all members of the family of God. It's a reality that never ends. And the blessings and the abundance of the kingdom of God is available and can overflow for absolutely everyone, everywhere. That's the real life. Let's live into that.